There we go. Now we're doing good here. So we're on full full lockdown. Oh really? It is truly boring. Yeah. So what's uh, what exactly really does that boring. mean for you guys? I mean, you can't leave the house, period, or for bare necessities, or. So we are luckier than some other countries uh, in that we can leave our houses to go shopping, but only when it's essential, like food shopping only, and only when it's essential as well. And we're allowed out for one piece of exercise a day. It's like Really? Print. Yep. And we're only allowed to go out on foot for that exercise. And this is, um, so if you get pulled over by the police, they are issuing fines. And every time you get caught, that fine doubles. No kidding. Yeah, I guess awesome. you guys wouldn't put up with it with your freedom-loving Americanness. No, yeah, we're we're not as much locked down as that, so we can go for bare essentials. Um, you're okay if you want to go to the park, um, if you want to walk your dog, anything outside, you're fine. You obviously have to keep a six-foot distance if you're with other people. Um, Eh, there's not a whole there's not a whole lot of difference. I mean, it's just kind of I think we're trying to slow it down. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think it's gotten bad enough yet where they're too concerned. Um, I don't know. It's obviously some interesting times for sure. <laughs> yeah. Are you are you allowed out hunting or is it, is anything in season? Yeah. So we've got turkey turkey seasons coming up. Yeah. Yeah. You can go out hunting. That's fine. In fact, I was just out. Um, we were just out yesterday, just shooting bows yesterday. So. Sweet, man. I suppose we will crack on with the, the, the main sort of meat of this, and that is you obviously saw our video, which contains some of your beautiful footage. So I really enjoyed the channel. I've, started, I've had a damn good go through it, actually, now. Oh, thank you. Uh, and the, the mixture of opinions on there, lent mostly by the British side, was that bow hunting is cruel, perhaps inhumane, perhaps. And I wanted to talk to somebody who has done a significant amount more than people who say it's cruel in England who probably have never done it. Right. And that's you. So first things first, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, uh, my name is Brett Roselle. Uh, I've got a company called Backcountry Bowhunter, which is essentially just me and um, just following my adventures. I film film all my hunts. Um, that's all I do is bow hunt. Um, you know, occasionally I'll go out with a rifle and we'll shoot coyotes just for some predator control. Um, but for the most part, all I do and all I want to do is just bow hunt. So that's kind of me in a nutshell, I guess. But why Why is that? Or how long has that been the case? Oh, my. Um, I probably started, I mean, I remember shooting a rabbit when I was probably, I was probably second or third grade with a bow and arrow. Um, and I loved it right from then. Um, you know, I put a stock on this rabbit in the backyard. We lived kind of in a small little town off in the, towards the edge of the city limits, if you will. And you know, I remember I got a hand-me-down bow as one of my brothers, and my my dad he bow hunted. Both both my older brothers they all bow hunt. My grandpa bow hunted. I mean, that's that's all we've done. Um, so yeah, I just starting out. I got a hand-me-down bow, and obviously, like any kid, you want to ex experience what it's like. So I get some arrows and go in the backyard, and I see a rabbit, and I put a stock on him, and end up no joke. I shot this rabbit on the run. Um, and that was my first kill. Now, granted, I had shot this bow before I just went and shot a rabbit, you know, but, uh, when yeah. I felt comfortable with it, I thought, shoot, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go on a big adventure, a big hunt, you know, in the backyard and put a stock on a rabbit and shot him on the run. And from there I was addicted, you know, I just hooked. Um, and then it just progressed from there. And I, now I was in the waterfowl world. I actually produced waterfowl DVDs and online shows in the waterfowl world for several years. Um, obviously with a shotgun, not with the bow. 
And eventually there was a point to where I, uh, for some reason, I, and I'd always bow hunted, but not to the extent that I do now. For some reason, there was a point there in my life where I just set the shotgun down, and I picked up my bow, and I'm completely ate up with it now. Um, and that's all I want to do is bow hunt. And I think I look back on that, and I think part of it is um, <clears throat> just the, the peace and quiet, I think, um, that the woods offer. And bow hunting, you have to spend a lot more time in the woods if you're a bow hunter because um, you've got to get a lot closer to those animals, and it's a lot more of a challenge. So the success rate is a lot lower if you're a bow hunter. So that just naturally requires you to spend more time in the woods. What, what's that? So what success rate is that? Well, as far as harvesting the animal, <laughs> the success rate is a lot yeah. lower because you've got to get a lot closer to those animals. Um, whereas a rifle, you know, you can go out and you can shoot. I mean, there's guys, there's guys that can shoot an animal out there at a thousand yards with a rifle. Um, yeah, you, you put me, well, now granted, it's still a skill to be able to shoot out a thousand yards. That's pretty impressive with the rifle. Um, oh, it's amazing skill. Yeah. But I mean, if, if I had, if I want to go out with a rifle, I could shoot honestly during rifle season with the places that we've got. You give me, you give me five days maximum, and I could kill a mature deer in five days, no question. Um, just because of the distance factor. I mean, I can shoot out to 300 yards consistently. Um, it's not much of a challenge, you know, from that standpoint. So, I, uh, I love the challenge of bow hunting personally. So what is the maximum range of your bow and what bow do you use just so we can set that? So, yeah, so I recently just switched. Um, I had been with Bear Archery for, I think, the last 10 years, so I have them as a sponsor. And then just here, oh, last several months, I've, I've had the opportunity to shoot several different bows. Um, and I finally I just realized, you know, there I believe there's a better bow out there. Um, and I'm always trying to fine-tune my equipment. I want to shoot the best possible equipment out there. And right now I'm even going through sites. Um, I've got several different sites that I'm going through and I'm shooting different sites right now just to figure out what I want. Um, everything from the weight of the site to the adjustments on the site. There's a ton of different things. I could get all nerdy on you and go into great detail. Um, but there's a ton of different things that go into my equipment and what I look for. Um, and basically where I landed for a bow, I shot all the different bow manufacturers that are out there. And now I'm with Hoyt, so I, lucky enough, I called them and reached out to them, and they were able to, they're going to sponsor me now, so I've picked them up as a sponsor, and um, so yeah, shooting Hoyt now, I guess, so as far as that bow goes, though, I'm, um, so far, I'm just, just started shooting it yesterday for the first time, but my goal every year, I want to be effective, I mean, I want to be able to consistently shoot a paper, uh, paper plate about that big at 100 yards, that's my goal every oh, wow. year. Yeah, so that's now sometimes that doesn't happen just kind of depending on my job. So I've got a full time job as well. Um, so just depending on what that job permits and the time that I have, because it you've got to shoot a lot um, to be able to shoot a paper target at 100 yards. But that's my goal every year that I set for myself is to shoot a paper, um, a paper plate at 100 yards. And uh, if, as far as kill now, I won't shoot an animal necessarily at that far. But uh, I for sure want to be effective. I mean, I want to, you know, put smaller groups then at. 70 and 80 and i'll for sure shoot an animal at 70 yards so wow it's a lot longer it's a lot further than i thought it would be for sure i was thinking yeah. it'd be like 40. oh i mean well that's and again it's dependent upon the shooter i mean it's you know you've got to go with what you're comfortable with like i said i don't always get my goal of, of hitting a paper plate at 100 yards um and obviously those years you know 
I, I range myself in. Um, I'm not going to be shooting an animal at 70 yards. If I'm not comfortable taking the shot, I'm not going to take it. Um, and again, that just depends on how much time I've had that year to practice and really dial a bow in. And you know, I have to do that every year because I typically I get a brand new bow every year, so I've got to dial that bow in every year. Um, and then there have been years too to where I haven't had the time to dial my brand new bow in, so I'll just pick my old one off the shelf because I already know it's completely dialed in. I've already shot it and it's fine tuned. Um, and then I'll just pick it up and just kind of brush it off and and redial that thing back in. But so, so talk to me about how humane these things are. I mean, that would seem to be most people's concern. Right. Everyone you shoot. Well, you know, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, you know, no, there are times where you wound an animal. Um, but at the same token, I've seen it happen with rifle hunters, too. I mean, at the end of the day, it's coming down to human beings, and none of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. I mean, you have people that drive vehicles that make mistakes every day and take hundreds and thousands of lives driving vehicles. So at the end of the day, it comes down to the human being, and regardless of what you have, whether you're driving a car, whether you're drinking alcohol, whether you're shooting a rifle or you're shooting a bow, you've got to be responsible with what you have, and you've got to know your limits. Um, and there's times to where, yeah, you do make mistakes. It happens, and it's, it's the worst feeling in the world. I mean, and I, this is the honest to God truth. So this would have been two or three years ago. I could go back in the video footage and look. I think it was three years ago. I shot a deer that I was calling Wishbone, and this was the biggest deer of my life. This was a 180-plus-inch deer, giant deer. And, and what, what, what species of deer is it you go A whitetail. This was a whitetail. Okay. And uh, so the, the, the situation that we were in, of course, I'm trying to film myself, and that just makes it even a far greater challenge because I'm trying to you know, manually run this camera with two hands. I've got one hand on the little arm and the other on the manual focus. And I'm trying to get him stopped in frame. I'm trying to reach up, grab my bow, draw down. It's filming yourself is a whole nother challenge. And this animal had stopped. He was quartering away, and it was which is a good shot you want to take. By the time I had reached up and grabbed my bow, though, I grunted while I was grabbing my bow to get him to stop. Then I draw down. Then I settle my pins in. And as this is all happening, of course, it's you know your mind is going 100 mil, you know 100 miles an hour when this is going down. By the time I settle my pin in, I release the arrow, and just as I pull the trigger on my release that animal takes a step forward with his back hind leg, which that wind up hitting his back, um, his back hip bone, and I didn't get a, a lethal shot on this animal. Um, well, we, we tracked blood, and I mean, you know, is is small drops of blood, and we tracked blood for, oh my, I bet we tracked blood for three miles. Um, and eventually we never, I ended up having a dog come in and track him too. Eventually we didn't find this animal, and yeah, it's, anyways, long story short, I, uh, this is the honest God truth. I was so sick to my stomach. I actually get end up getting a condition, a medical condition. It's called ulcerative colitis. And they technically don't know what causes this, but they, there's several things they've identified it to, and stress is one of those. Um, and that just shows you how, how gut-wrenching it was. I mean, it's if you've ever wounded an animal, it's the worst feeling in the world. Like, that's the last thing I want to do is see an animal suffer. Um, and like I said, I, I end up developing a condition from this. Um, and it, yeah, it's ulcerative colitis. You can look it up. I've got it for the rest of my life now, unfortunately, and I've got to take medication for it. Um, but that's, I mean, I, I lost sleep for probably the next three weeks um, over this deer. And I looked for that deer, not just that day. I looked for him in the middle of the night. We had a blood dog back in there. And I looked for him for the next couple of weeks, just walking the property, hoping to see him again. Never saw his name. I don't know where he's at. I don't know if he's dead. I don't know if he's still alive. I don't know what happened. Sometimes you, you wound them and they go off and they never return to that property again. Um, yeah, 
I don't know. I still don't know what happened to this deer, but it's the worst feeling in the world. But it happens to everybody. I will say though, too, as far as if you compare um, bows to rifles, I will say that an animal re will recover faster. They have a higher chance of recovery rate from a wound from an archery shot than a rifle shot. So I guess if you want to look at the pros and cons, if you make a bad shot with a bow, that animal has a lot higher chance of of uh, living as opposed to a bad shot with a rifle. Um, so I guess there's the pros and cons of that. Um, like I said, I've seen plenty of guys make bad shots with rifles and the odds are that deer is going to die and you may never find him and he's dead somewhere. So talking about it now on a more positive note, uh, what about when it goes right? What about what? What about when it goes right? Oh, when it goes right, it's the most amazing feeling in the world. Um, and that's why I do it. I mean, that's why I do it. It's, you are, you, I mean, if you go with, and I've, I've shot, I've shot, what have I shot? Probably four deer with a rifle. And I remember the last deer I shot with a rifle. I just thought that, that was too easy. Like if, if I felt like I was shooting a cow, I mean, as, as dumb as that may sound, and I'm not trying to bash rifle hunters by any means, but you know, I, I had the rifle. I walk out in the field. I sat there for probably 30 minutes. A big buck walks out. I shot him and it's like, well, that was that. It just felt too easy. It wasn't a challenge. I, like I said, I, it felt like I was shooting a cow. And I don't mean to, I'm not trying to diminish rifle hunting because there's still a challenge to it to some extent. It's not as easy as shooting a cow, but on that hunt, it was as easy as shooting a cow. Um, <laughs> and I, ever since that, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I want more of a challenge. Um, now I've eaten a lot of tag sandwiches. I've, you know, I've gone out plenty of years now and there's, I've had, I think I had a span there where I think I went three years without ever filling my tag, without ever killing a deer. Um, whereas if I had a rifle, yeah, I could have shot a ton of deer. Um, but it's, uh, that's what makes, when it does go right, that's what makes it so incredible. I mean, it's the most amazing feeling you're ever going to get because you have to be more in tune with your equipment as well as opposed to a rifle. A rifle, you just settle the crosshairs. You know, you've got to dial it in. Don't get me wrong. But once it's dialed in, you, do, you can set it on a tripod, you can anchor it well, you're not moving, it's stationary, you know, you, whether it's a bipod, monopod, whatever you use, pull the trigger and, and you're done. Um, a bow, there's a lot more of an art form to it, if you will. You've got to be extremely tuned in and dialed in with your equipment. And it's almost, it's almost as if you develop a relationship with that bow um, because you've constantly shot it so much that when everything goes right and you and your bow are working in unison with this wild animal and everything happens, it's, it's the most incredible experience you could ever imagine. I mean, and that's why I do it. That's what I live for. Is it, is it humane? Oh, oh my goodness. Is it humane? Absolutely. So there are, it's just as humane as a rifle. In fact, I shot a deer one time and I, this was before I was filming. I wish I had this on film because I get this question quite a bit. And this is before I started filming my deer hunts. I wish this was on film. This is the honest God truth. So I had a deer feeding in a food plot. We planted this nice little clover plot, feeding in a food plot, and he was out there at 20 yards. And I'm up in a tree stand. I drew down on this deer, shot him, got a complete pass through, which that, you know, it went completely through the animal. It stuck in the dirt on the other side. As soon as that arrow hit that deer, he flinched. He looked around. And then he went back to feed. And I sat there like, and you can hear the hit. You know when you make a shot and you hear the hit. And I knew I'd hit the animal, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, because a lot of times they'll run off. Well, 
I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, what's going on? But then I see blood coming out his other side. And then eventually he just, he just lays down. He just, it, it was like he, it was like he just started to get tired and he just lays down and then just slowly puts his head down as like he went to sleep and he died. And I think so that in that scenario, and I've only had that happen once, but I think in that scenario, I didn't hit any bones whatsoever. I mean, I think it was just a, the, the absolute most perfect shot you could ever have. I think it probably didn't hit any bones at all. It just hit flesh and then it got his vitals. It probably got you know both of his lungs going through. Um, and he just, he didn't feel anything. And then he just, like he just got quiet, just got quiet and and uh, tired and literally just knelt down and then just fell asleep. And it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like I said, it only happened once, but the only wow. thing I can think of is it didn't hit any bones. Typically you'll hit a rib um, on your way through, but it, it blows through the ribs. You'll get pass-throughs all the time as long as you're sh shooting the ribs. The rib cage, you're fine. It's whenever you hit, the, hit those shoulders that you don't get pass-throughs. Um, so I've had plenty of pass-throughs before where it goes completely through the animal. Um, but this time, the only thing I can figure is it didn't hit any ribs. It didn't hit any bone whatsoever. And he just didn't even know he was hit. So, and then I think he so basically, I, go ahead. So when potentially that perfect scenario doesn't happen, how far do they run typically? How far is a typical follow-up? Oh yeah. So typically, um, on average, so let me think here. I would say, you know, I've had one recovery that was probably, you know, and this was not a, this wasn't the best shot, the most ideal shot. One recovery was probably, he probably went a mile. That's, that was the worst case scenario. Um, best case scenario. Yeah. I mean, he laid down and died right there where I shot him, but typically on average, they'll probably go anywhere from 30 to 70 yards on average. Uh, so a good shot, not far at all. No, uh, nope. Nope. I mean, it's, it's no different than a rifle. You know, you're doing the same thing. Now, a rifle does, you know, you're, you're looking to shoot the lungs and heart area. And basically what happens is those lungs fill up with blood and the animal just runs out of air is what happens. Um, so the larger the lung size, obviously. So I shot a buffalo several years ago. Um, that animal ran a long ways, but you've got to figure his lungs are massive. So you're wait, what you're essentially waiting for is those lungs to fill up with blood. And then they just suffocate is what happens. Um, they just run out of oxygen and, and pass out is what happens. Um, so he, now he ran for quite a ways, but like I said, you're waiting on those lungs to fill up with blood and his lungs are just larger. So the smaller the animal, you know, if, if you're looking at shooting them in the lungs, obviously the, the less, less far they can run, the larger the animal, the, the longer distance they can cover because they got more time with their lungs to fill up. So, but it, so, it's the same as a rifle. Yeah. So what is the smallest parcel of land you would consider using a bow on? Oh, the smallest parcel of land. That's a great question. So just uh, let me think, not this last year, but the year before, I had bought a little track of land right on the edge of city limits. I did a film on it called the Urban City Deer Project. Um, this parcel was 25 acres. And, you know, and this, it was the dumbest thing. It produced a lot of deer. I mean, there was a lot of deer on this 25-acre track. And I knew that before I bought yeah. this place. Um, that was, so that was 25 acres. My brother, he lives on 17 acres out in the country and he's got several good deer to go after out there. Um, I mean, you could hunt, I mean, I don't know how it is back there, but I mean, out here you get in the country, you can, as long as you've got a prime spot, honestly, you could hunt, you could hunt two acres. I mean, I know people that live on two acres, a little two acre farm out in the country and they just have a deer feeder in their backyard. 
you know, and they'll have a crossbow or they'll have a little tree stand right there. You can hunt two acres. Well, yeah, so obviously you need to have permission to, to be able to track that animal on the neighbors. But for the most part around here, and different states are different. So now the state of Kansas, we're as, about as strict on the recovery on neighbors as you can be. So if I shoot it, which I don't agree with, if I shoot an animal on my property and it crosses the fence and goes on to the neighbors, at the end of the day, my neighbor has the final say as to whether I can go attract that animal or not. So even if I see the deer dead, you know, 20 yards on the other side of his fence, and the neighbor says, no, you cannot go recover that deer. Legally, I can't recover that deer, which I don't agree that's with that's, at all. That's the same here. That is exactly the same here. Yeah, and I, between you and me personally, I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. I think it's stupid. If that animal is dead and you know that animal is dead, you need to give that hunter every right to go and track that animal just out of respect for the animal. Otherwise, you're just legally what's supposed to happen is I can't recover it, nor can the neighbor recover it. So that animal just has to lay there and rot, which is the it's that's dumb. Like and now now legally, they would let me go hunt again. The state lets me go hunt again and I can go shoot another animal. But oh, that's okay. that, yeah, very different. Yeah, that's which okay. it's your neighbor can't pick it up because they don't have a tag. Is that correct? Correct. Well, so and here's see, they would run into a, a weird situation because I know the game wardens in the state of Kansas would want me to be able to recover that animal. But yeah. the way the law's written, the game wardens can't override that. So what would have to happen is if the neighbor wanted to recover that animal, they would have to go in and get a carcass tag but they're going to need to get that carcass tag from the game warden. So they may run into issues getting that carcass tag because the game warden's going to know, hey, you wouldn't let the guy who shot it recover that, so therefore I'm not going to issue you a carcass tag. So I, you know, I can see problems there. Um, it's, it's screwed up. Now, I know in the state of North Dakota, for example, um, which and this, I believe this is how it should be. Um, I think you need to at least acknowledge and give the neighbor a phone call and say, hey, listen, I shot a deer. You know, he ran across your place. And as long as you can identify I think that's, blood. That's just respectful. What's that? As I said, that, I think that's just common courtesy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you need to give the neighbor a call and let them know, hey, I'm going to be over there. You know, and maybe even work out a time if they're a deer hunter, as, you know, as well. Maybe, hey, I don't want you there during the evenings or the mornings, but maybe come in mid-afternoon. And as long as you can find blood crossing the fence from your place to the neighbors, as long as you see blood and it's evident, okay, you clearly did shoot a deer on your property and across the fence, I'd say you should have no issues going. Um, now, in the state of North Dakota, you don't even have to contact the landowner, um, which I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you at least need to make a courtesy call and let the landowner know. Um, but in the state of North Dakota, if you shoot an animal and it's on your property and crosses the fence, you can go track that animal regardless. Now you can't take your weapon with you. You have to leave the weapon on the other side, of, on your side of the fence, but you don't even have to notify the landowner. You can just go get your animal. Um, so, and I would personally, I would rather have that than how we have it now, um, in the state of Kansas. But like I said, in my opinion, um, and who am I, but in my opinion, I think you at least need to notify the landowner, but at the same token, if you can prove that you shot the deer on your place and across the fence, that's your deer and you need to go recover that animal. Yeah, so I think that would be, that is one of the big barriers here is that in the UK, all the deer on your land are yours. And as soon as it crosses the boundary, it's your neighbor's. You cannot go and get it if it's dead on their ground because it belongs to them, unless you have permission. 
the phone out and say, I'm doing this and that. So you, so for example, if you don't know your neighbor, you don't shoot the deer, you don't do anything with deer near your neighbors. So then you have to be quite strict with yourself about where you shoot the deer and where you shoot huh. with rifles. You can't also have your bullet go over your boundary either. So you need to be quite careful with that. Ah. I think that's certainly one of the big inhibitors here would be not not that we don't have very large estates, you know, estates that are 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 acres up north right. in Scotland, 20, 30, or 40,000 acres. But right where, where I am, right on the south coast, most farms are, like you're saying, 25 acres, 7 acres, very yeah. small. So bow might not be applicable in those situations. Huh. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. See, and, and for the most part, you know, and in, in the state of Kansas, for the most part, I've only encountered one landowner that, and I, I never had an issue because I never had a deer run on him. I don't know as if he would give me permission or not. I don't know. Um, but for the most part, everybody is pretty well in unison with each other because at the same token, the landowner, he also wants the same privilege. You know, if he shoots a deer, he's going to want to also be able to cross the fence and come on to you and recover the deer. Um, so I think for the most part, everybody's okay with it. Like I said, that's that's why it's been no issue for, you know, I had um, another buddy of mine, he hunted on a little five-acre track of land. And just because he, he knew his neighbors, and he was good friends with the farmers that owned the land around him, and he's never had an issue. You know, yeah, he had a feeder back there, and, and he'd shoot a deer, and yeah, he'd cross the fence, and he could recover it. And how many deer are you allowed to shoot a year? Yeah, so that varies depending on the state, again. Um, <laughs> So in the state of Iowa, I think you can shoot three bucks, and I don't know how many does. You can you, you almost always shoot more does than you can bucks. Um, in the state of Kansas, you can shoot one buck, and I don't know what our doe count is because um, I never hit it just because I just – I usually just shoot enough meat for me and my family, and, and occasionally I'll donate a meat to, you know, <laughs> if there's some elderly woman or something that needs some meat. Um, I think – I don't know. I'd have to check on that. I don't want to be quoted on that. I know you can for sure shoot two does. I know for sure. I think you may be able to shoot three does. Um, but like I said, I, between me and my wife, I mean, because she bow hunts as well. So, yeah, between us two, we always fill our freezer and we have more than enough. So we never fill all of our doe tags that we can. That's interesting. So, so over here, as I'm sure you're probably already aware, is we, unlike you, are allowed to sell game meat. So commercial stalking is still quite a big thing over here. Wow. Okay. So it always, it always, um, it fascinates me when talking to any American. Is that over here, uh, over there, you guys will shoot what two or three deer a year, and you generally think that's quite a good year. Whereas over here, like there's a, a bit of snobbery in the the guys who kill a lot of deer of anybody who just shoots single figures. Huh. Well, yeah, so if, if you're able to sell the meat, yeah, I can see where you're getting that commercial hunting in there, and guys are just laying them down. Huh. Yeah, big time. Huh. So, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> right on the edge of uh, a national park called the New Forest, and uh, there's a they, there's some government employees who go and control the deer on the forest. Some would say they don't shoot quite enough, but everybody who owns land around the outside kills hundreds. I mean, the, the forest kills a lot. But, for example, there's an estate of the road, and it, that's not that big. It's a couple of thousand acres. They kill 400 a year, uh, and that's just one guy. So Holy there's quite wow. a difference. A different approach. Well, a different uh, approach. So, so you know, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to upset anybody or whatever. Um, yeah. But just play devil's advocate. So, 
So if if Britain is ups, generally upset with bow hunters, I mean, if you look in terms of the animal, uh, okay, so I shoot two deer a year in the state of Kansas, like, and you've got some guy with a rifle go in, you know, in Europe, whatever, shooting 400. What what's best for the animal? I guess, you know, I mean, you you've got all kinds of arguments out there, like, at the end, like, you know, in here in Kansas, we are in the states. We've got people that think that baiting shouldn't be legal. Think that baiting should be legal. Essentially, you know, you hunt over a corn pile. Is that legal or not? You can hunt over cornfields. You can hunt over crop fields. But in some states, you can't pour out a bag of corn and shoot a deer over that bag of corn. Um, some people think that's good. Some people think that's bad. Some people think it's ethical, unethical, humane, inhumane. You know, you've got all these arguments. A very wise man once said to me. Uh, when I was talking to him about it was that shooting pheasants, and obviously we do quite a lot of that, um, and I was, I was loading for him, and this bird comes over, and it's not particularly high, it wasn't particularly sporty or challenging, and he shoots it back. Right. It was edible, so it wasn't a complete waste, and I sucked air through my teeth, and he turns to me and goes, John, the birds don't care, they're dead. Like, right. They don't care whether you honour their death, whether you do anything. They they actually don't care. Right. So the moralistic side is a completely human element. So, and this relates back to the deer doesn't care whether it's eating over a corn pile, whether it's asleep in its bed. And I don't, I'm not going to say it didn't want to die because that sounds a little bit too... Right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you're, you're taking that meat for yourself as a hunter and as a top predator. And it's only up to us whether we would want to hunt it in an adventurous style or hunt it at the window of your car. Right. Yeah. No, and I, I don't disagree. And it, I mean, you can, you've got all different arguments out there. Uh, you know, you've got high fence and low fence places. Um, it's just, at the end of the day, this is what I've come to realize. If you want to be pessimistic or if you want to be upset or negative about things, you can be negative or, or upset about anything you want to be. You know, so we run into – look at bow hunting or versus rifle hunting, for example, since rifle hunting is legal there. You know, I've had well, – I see, I see hunters here in the States get upset with one another, bow hunters versus rifle hunters. And bow hunters are like, oh, you guys are just killing all the deer. You know, and rifle hunters are like, well, we're more efficient with our equipment and – you know, you've got all these different arguments and people just fight one another and it's that's frustrating for myself. If you want to look at what's most humane for the sake of the animal, if you're taking the animal, his feelings and his suffering, hurts and suffering into consideration, the best thing to do would be drop a bomb on them. You know, that way they don't feel anything. You know, or headshot. Headshot's going to be the best thing for that animal. But I have seen... Uh but only by trained and proficient hunters because, again, the risk of wounding is so much higher. Right, right. So, so again, like you run into all these different arguments. So if you're, if you're only looking at the suffering of the animal, well, then in that sense, the best thing for that animal is to drop a bomb on him. That's it. Like that way he doesn't feel anything. Um, then you can tone that back. Okay, so what would be the next best thing? Well, then you're going to have to be an extreme marksman, and you're shooting for the brain on that animal – and you're looking at headshots. Well, then I've seen people argue, because I've seen videos on YouTube and people bashing, oh my gosh, that's so gross, that's inhumane. It's like, what do you mean that's inhumane? That's actually the most humane thing for that animal. But they see that, because typically the head explodes like a watermelon, and it looks grotesque and whatever. Like, I've seen videos of this stuff on YouTube, and I see people just bashing, you know, and they're usually P to people or whatever. 
It's like, oh, that's so inhumane. It's like, well, actually, that's that's actually pretty humane for the animal. Now, the footage may be grotesque. You know, you've got blood being splattered, whatever, and the head kind of explodes like a watermelon. But, you know, so you've got all these different arguments. Um, you look at a rifle, people are like, well, you know, a rifle is probably better for the animal. Well, at the same token, you can kill more deer with a rifle. It's an easier hunt. So then you can go down to, well, what's the most challenge? What's, you know, as far as my concern, you know, more animals survive with me hunting with a bow yeah. than if I had a gun. What, what is the fairest chase? What is the fairest chase? Right. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, I mean, and you can, you can make the argument, too, of, well, maybe I should try to go after the animal with a fork. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not very humane. If you wind up killing the animal with a fork, that was a challenge, and you're going to have – that's going to be – you're going to have a harder time killing an animal with a fork than I am with a bow. But at the same token, when you finally catch up with that animal, that's not very humane. You know, the animal's going to suffer a lot. But at the same token, you look at the wild. You know, I've seen animals get hung up in fences. Yeah. I've seen them eaten alive by coyotes. And that's – I think that's something that we have progressed as humanity, I guess. No, exactly. I mean, it, and that's where there's that disconnect. And I think the further we have gotten as as, hum, as humans, if you will, we have progressed. And, you know, now we've got grocery stores. We're not cavemen living in caves anymore. Now we've got grocery stores. We can buy our meat. And there has been a huge disconnect from where where meat comes from. You know, people now, you know, you look at some kid, if you were, if he was completely, and I've seen city people like this, people who are completely disconnected with the outdoors and have no no touch with the outdoors whatsoever, they think their meat just comes from the store. They don't see the process. You realize that that meat in that saran wrap package with the foam in the bottom, like you do realize that came from an animal, right? And that animal was alive at one point in time. He had a life. And somebody had to take his life, whether he was whether he grew in a pen his entire life and then had a bolt in the head. At some point, that was a living creature. But we just we get in the habit of just going to the grocery store. We throw the meat in the grocery cart. We go and check out and pay for it. And we eat it. And there's this huge disconnect as far as where that meat actually came from. And that's something that only your hunters and your farmers are going to really know and have that connection and know this is where meat comes from. You know, it, it takes life to give life. Um, and that's just that's the process of life. I mean, you know, you watch The Lion King and it's it's pretty, pretty equivalent. You know, the circle of life, it's. It's pretty simple if you think about it. And yeah, there are people that there's somebody that had to kill that cow so you could eat. There's somebody that had to kill that pig so you could have pork. Um, and whether that animal grew up in a pen, you know, you could argue whether that's humane or not. Like at least the deer that I'm shooting, they're out in the wild and they're running around. They're not caged up in fences. I mean, you've got all kinds of arguments. Um, at the end of the day, I'm all for it as long as you're doing it legally and as long as you're being respectful and responsible. You know, I, I don't have a problem with people drinking alcohol, but be re, be responsible with drinking alcohol. I don't have a problem with people driving cars and vehicles, but be responsible. When you get behind the wheel of a vehicle, you need to be responsible. It's no different than with a rifle or a bow. If you've got the equipment in your hands, if you can only shoot out to 300 yards with a rifle, then I would not expect you to try to make a 900-yard shot. It's just plain and simple. Like, oh, oh, there's a big deer. He's out there at 900 yards. Well, I'm going to try it. I'll just raise my crosshairs up on him and I'll, I'll try. No, if you can't make a 900-yard shot, then don't make a 900-yard shot. It's the same thing with the bow. If I can't make an 80-yard shot on an animal, I'm not going to take it. And, I, and only I know that. Only I know how well I am dialed in with that equipment, whether I can or cannot make that shot. And it's going to be dependent upon a lot of things. It's going to be dependent on the wind, a lot of scenarios. So at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual, not the state or the government. 
which they set, you know, legalities to some extent. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the, the human being who's behind that piece of equipment, whether it's a bow or a rifle, and their conscience and their heart, I guess, as far as whether they're comfortable making the shot. That's, that's with anything in life. Whether you want to drink alcohol or drive a vehicle, you've got to be responsible. All right, uh, we'll take one little rewind, and that would be to look at small game, where you started when you were just a kid. I, I presume small game is unbelievably humane by comparison to a deer. There's no argument there. Uh, oh, I, I don't I don't see any difference, personally. I, see, and this is something else. This is, oh my goodness, you can get into, I mean, let's go even, let's go even smaller than that. Let's look at insects. Let's look at ants and grasshoppers and spiders. Mm-hmm. I mean, where, where do you want to stop? And that's, that's the thing. Like, people have a tendency, to, for, for whatever reason, people have a tendency to look at big game. They're more heartfelt. They're, they're, yeah. they're, and I don't understand. I don't, me personally, I don't understand. It's an animal. It's a lot easier to empathize, isn't it? Right. Like, it's harder to disconnect from a deer than it is a rat. Right. A rat, everyone hates rats. You can right. blow rats up with Tannerite and everyone's cheering. There's nobody exactly. going to go, oh, poor rat. Whereas if you start doing that to hogs, I think, personally, you start going, oh, poor pig. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, and I don't know, some of it has, I read an article, this was, oh, a couple of years ago, and I think it has something to do with it. Um, you know, they, so you look at movies, for example, and with animation and all the stuff they have going on now, it's, it's, it's neat stuff. It's neat technology. But we're able to watch TV now, and we can watch a movie or a cartoon, and we're seeing animals talk. And, and they can make them really extremely lifelike. And it's, it's, it's almost starting to take these animals and turn them into human beings. So now we start to have even more empathy and even more compassion for these wild animals. And it's like you're watching a bear talk on TV. It's like, oh, my gosh, this bear has feelings. And, oh, and you, you feel sorry for the bear. And this cartoon bear that talks like a human being and he walks around on two legs and he has like, human problems and human feelings. And yes. Human yes. It's like, like yes, yes. But you realize you get in the wild with a real bear, not a cartoon bear, not one that was animated by Hollywood, but you get in the wild, that thing's going to rip your freaking face off. He doesn't give a crap about you. He's going to eat you alive. It's like, he's e- either you eat him or he eats you. It's not, it's not like you're going to sit down on a picnic and talk with one another and, and talk about the bear's feelings and the bear's going to talk and ask you about your feelings. And, oh, no. When you get in the wild, it's a completely different ballgame. Um, and that's what people don't understand. And so this article was basically stating that how some of these movies are starting to condition people to feel sorry for animals um, as if it's given them personality. And that's why you're seeing an even larger disconnect between you know, PETA people and hunters, I guess. Um, but as far as the size of animal, you know, if as far as I'm concerned, if you're willing to kill a spider or step on an ant, to me, that life is no more sacred than a deer or an elk or a wolf or a bear or a whale, whatever, you name it. Now, again, we, it, we as human beings, we still need to be responsible. And I'm not saying that we hunt animals to extinction. That's That's not at all the case. In fact, if you look at statistics, statistics will show you that hunters are the biggest conservationists there are. We put more money especially back in America, into especially in America. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's stupid. Like every box of shotgun shells we buy, every license we buy, a portion of that money goes back into the conservation of animals. Because obviously I want my son to be able to hunt these animals too. And if I hunt him to extinction, he can no longer enjoy the things that I got to enjoy in those tree stands or in those ground blinds or on spot and stocks. Um, 
So again, as hunters, we've got to be responsible. So if there's if there's only three bears left in the world, guess what? I'm going to be the biggest advocate saying, hey, we probably shouldn't hunt those bears. We should probably put those in a pen somewhere. Let's preserve them. Let's bring those numbers back to a healthy point. I'd like to see those numbers back to 100,000 or whatever, you know, to a healthy state to where we can again once start to hunt those again. Um, yeah, so again, it comes back to being responsible. Um, and at the end of the day, we are we're supposed to be um, stewards of what God has given us and, yeah, keep these animals around for as long as we can. So if there's a, a particular species of animal that's towards the brink of extinction or there's low numbers, then, yeah, we shouldn't hunt that animal until we can get those back to a healthy, a healthy number again. Um, but as far as the size of animal, they're animals. Like, that's what we have to – they're animals. I'm sorry, but I – an ant is no different than a deer. You can't tell me that a deer has more emotional feelings than an ant. No, like, but there, well, I think that there is definitely a difference in brain capacity there and yeah. in the way that they live their lives. And they are, I think, very, very different in terms of ability or existence. I mean, oh, they, right. they must have existence. Um, yeah. But I, I, I see a point and I can agree with you that every life is sacred and nobody's hands have got a, a blood free. I have right. got blood on their hands at some point, and it's an acceptance that actually creating less of an impact on the world is better than ignoring your impact and trying to re reduce your impact in other areas. I suppose that's it. It's about accepting your position as a, an animal, maybe. Or maybe I'm yeah. crazy. I mean, you know, you look at, okay, look at the life expectancy, you know, of a dog or something, or, you know, deer, so white-tailed deer, I mean, an extremely old white-tailed deer is nine years old here in the States. I don't know how they get there, but here you'd be hard-pressed to find a deer that's nine years old. In um, the park, you get older deer, but in the wild, it depends. We've got six deer species, uh, and they all vary in age capacity by right. some years. A red deer lives a lot longer than a roe deer, for example. Right, right. And mule deer, same thing. Mule deer live longer than a white-tail and elk, same thing. Um, but that's just it. If, you wanna, if, if people are basing it off of life expectancy of the animal— um, I mean, in that case, I guess crocodile, I mean, <laughs> you, you can measure this a whole number of ways. Crocodiles live an extremely long time, you know, so because they they're live top, the same. top priority. Of yeah. I mean, are you basing it off of, what are you basing it off of? Are you basing it off of brain capacity? Are you, are you basing it off of the life expectancy of the animal? If you look at a fly, you know, flies are, you know, I'm sure there's some insect out there that has like a. 24-hour life expectancy or something crazy, something extremely yeah, short. May, mayflies, literally, just an hour. Right. Or a couple so, hours a day. Yeah. yeah, so do we look at it, are we basing it just off of life expectancy? Like, well, this animal is only going to live 24 hours anyway, so let's just kill them all. You know, who cares? They're only going to live 24 hours. Um, but at the same token, though, those animals are replenishing themselves, they're reproducing, and at some point, I'm sure that, as annoying as flies can be, I'm sure they still bring something to the ecosystem. You know, something that they do bring some Productive, but fundamental, mate. Yeah, absolutely fundamental. Every yeah. animal has its place. It's absolutely. In the in the quantity that we're hearing, at least currently. Yeah. Um, currently. So that's that's again where, I'm sorry. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna be upset with somebody killing a deer, then as far as I'm concerned, then you shouldn't be stepping on any ants when you walk around. You should be walking on eggshells when you walk to the store and make sure that you're not killing any creature whatsoever. And you can even take it down to plant life. You right. know. Should we be cutting trees down? Should you know? There's pros and cons to this. Um, 
you could get into the whole argument of what's ethical, what's, at the end of the day, yeah, life begets life. You've got to have life to sustain life, and death is part of that, and take it for what it is. You have to live in the most healthy way in that relationship, as Correct. you can afford to in your situation that you're forced yeah. to and live in. A quick question, and I suppose probably leads on to a deeper subject, is the U.S.'s relationship with deer. Do you view deer as pets? Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's a good question. So, <laughs> you know, and so I've actually had one as a pet, a deer. Um, so I've got a, I've got a, yeah, I've got a buddy that has a high fence place, and legally he can rehabilitate deer and stuff, such you know, such as that nature. Um, but I can legally from him now. Again, there's laws on this and whatever. But as long as I purchase a deer from him, I'm I'm legal. I'm I'm okay to do that. And what I have done is he, and I don't know if he's still raising deer or not. Um, he still has a high fence place, and you go in there and buy hunts from him, and go in there and you know shoot animals with whatever you want to shoot a bow rifle, whatever. Is that, What's that? Do you shoot high fence stuff, or is that not float your boat? Um, you know, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I've I've gone on one high fence hunt in my life. I went on an axis deer hunt. This would have been, I think, last summer. Either last summer or the summer, I can't – eventually my hunts run together. I think it was last summer I went on a high-fence axis deer hunt. Um, you know, the, the quote-unquote pin I was in was 7,000 acres. Um, oh, just Yeah, so as much as you think this high-fence was a done deal, um, yeah, I can't – 7,000 acres, fucking high. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't kill an animal. I mean, I didn't – the closest I got was 80 yards, and I wasn't comfortable taking that shot at the time. Um, the deer was in some brush. You know, like I said, the closest shot I got was 80 yards. And again, this is with my bow. Now, a rifle, I could have dropped him, you know, no problem. Um, but I wasn't comfortable taking that shot, so I didn't take the shot. And that was the only chance I had. Um, and we hunted hard. It didn't happen. Um, so it, uh, yeah, it, it depends. I mean, now I'm not, I'm not opposed to, you get, when you get up in around a couple thousand acres, um, it's a hunt. I mean, it's it's no different than hunting a wild animal, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it just depends. Now, now my my buddy's place, I think he's got I think he's got like 180 acres that's high fenced. Now, again, there's there's a couple animals in there that would be extremely difficult to hunt. I mean, extremely difficult, and that's what I want. That's the challenge, right? Um, again, if you go out there, you get out of it what you put in, and that's in anything in life. If you go out there, if you walk out there, and whether it's a bow or rifle, I don't care, and you kill an animal within the first five minutes, it's kind of like, oh, that that was easy. I mean, you we, know? we do those hunts, and you always sit there afterwards, and you go, you feel cheated. You do. Yeah. Yes. But you go there, you go bang, and you go. I was hoping. Uh, yes. I was hoping almost to not see anything, so I could feel better about. I don't know. I don't know. Feel better, but you hope. You hope to see something, but you're not disappointed if you don't. And if you right. do, right, I've been to permissions in the past. You walk through the gate, turn right, the deer stood there at 50 yards. You put, load your rifle, shoot it, and you go, I've got to go home. And that's okay. But yeah. it wouldn't have been as good as if I had to spend three hours belly crawling. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you get out of the way. And I, you know, I've told my wife, you know, she's not, she doesn't like the cold weather. Um, so she would rather get her deer earlier in the season but me, honestly, I would rather hunt every single – if I could write a script, if I could write it how I want it to happen every year, I would hunt every single day of the season. 
And then finally, on the last day of the season, I would finally get the animal. Like, that's how I want it on every hunt. If I've got a, a seven-day hunt coming up, if I'm going to some other state and hunting some other animal, I've got seven days or however long the hunt is. If it's a 10-day hunt, I want to hunt my guts out every single day of that hunt. And then finally, in the final hours of the last day, finally kill the animal. That's what I want. I mean, I because you appreciate it so much more. I mean, that's you go through the highs and lows and you think it's not going to happen. It's like, man, it's not going to happen. And then you just but you keep plugging away. You keep staying after it. And then finally it does. I mean, that's that's the Cinderella story of hunting, you know, and that's how I want it every time, if at all possible. Always with a bow. Always with a bow. Yeah. Now, there's there's several animals. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll have the money to ever hunt a Marco Polo. Um, there are some there are some animals out there that. I just I don't know as if you could do it with a bow, um, because you're looking. You had a life and lots and lots of money. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd have to have a lifetime and and stupid amounts of money, way more money than I've got. Um, Which is the market for sheep now? About forty grand, fifty grand. Yeah, they're getting up there. Yeah, they're getting up there. So that's just it. You spend. Okay, so the top of my bucket list, for example, is a brown bear. I want to kill a brown bear with my bow and arrow. That's at the top of my bucket list. Um, but those hunts right now are running $25,000. So, and my wife, you know, she asked me, she said, are you going to take a rifle? I'm like, no, I, I want to do it with a bow. Like, period. I want to do it with a bow. Now, I will still have a rifle as a backup option. Um, so if I get towards the last couple of days and I haven't got it done with a bow, then, yeah, I'll probably pull the rifle out. Um, just because you're spending – that's a lot of money. You know, that's a lot of money for me at least. Um you hate I to guess that if you don't get it, that tag doesn't roll over. That no. money doesn't roll over. That no, it doesn't. Time yeah, and and that will probably be a one-time trip. If I'm lucky, maybe two. Maybe two, if I'm lucky. And that's only if I don't get one on the first trip. Um, so, for example, I'm going on a moose hunt here in September. I'm getting up, going up in Alaska. We're getting dropped off. And it's kind of a that's DIY cool. hunt, a do-it-yourself hunt. Um, we're hiring a bush pilot to fly us in back in the middle of the wilderness and he's going to drop us off and then we've got to survive for, you know, 10 plus days and, and we're on our own essentially, but I'm going to take a rifle as a backup, but you better believe I'm going to hunt, you know, of the 10 days that we're going to be there, I'm going to hunt the first eight with a bow period. I'm not even going to take the rifle out. So the first eight days, yeah, it's bow only. But again, I'm spending lots of money to go on this hunt. So if I get to the last couple of days and I still haven't got it done, then yeah, I'm probably going to break the rifle out. So just because you're spending that kind of money, and I don't have that kind of money to to keep going on those trips. To to try to... A second time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So you are like, I would say, 80% diehard as a bowhunter. <laughs> uh, but you're not. You're not die hard enough to sacrifice huge amounts of money for zero success. Right. Now, if I had if I had huge amounts of money, if I was a millionaire, oh, absolutely. I'd go on this hunt every year and, you know, until eventually I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'm done with moose. I've shot enough moose now. Now I, you know, yeah, it's it strictly comes down to a financial standpoint and obviously trying to sell this to my wife of, hey, honey, because she obviously wants me to kill something. You know, how many women will go into – you know, a shopping center and just give their money and come back with nothing. You know, <laughs> my wife is like, you better come back with something. Cause obviously meat is a big thing for us too. Like that, that helps sustain us as well. You know, that's, that saves us on our grocery bill whenever I come back with some meat. So that's part of it too. It tastes damn good too, I expect. What's that? 
I just say it tastes damn good as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, and it, yeah, it, it, you'd be shocked at how much it saves you of not having to buy meat at the grocery store. Yeah, so, and to be fair, I think, and I was about to, I don't want to use it as a, an American bashing term, but your agricultural system for producing meat is significantly less regulated than ours is. Like, I would be very cautious about, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, I'm like, oh, why do Americans, like, do it so much for the meat? And I think that's because you, when people, you hear adverts saying that the meat's hormone-free, we don't have to worry about that over here. Everything, all of our meat, our British agriculture is world-leading in terms of quality, I think. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, I can see why you guys go mad for the meat a lot more than we do, um, whereas we export something like, 70% of our venison? Really? To Europe, to Europe yeah. Wow. So, huh. Yeah, I, yeah, I um, wasn't aware of that. Uh, well, no wonder you've got commercial yeah, so, hunting and you've got um, guys laying down 400 deer. Yeah, well, uh, we, um, to be fair, we're, we're suffering a little bit at the moment, obviously. We were suffering about a month ago. Um, and the, so the, the market price of venison is probably very strange. But it, it fluctuates a huge amount. So sometimes you can take a carcass to a game dealer, and where we've got different types of deer, each deer has a per pound price as well. Okay. So the bigger deer are a little bit less per, per, per pound, but there's so much more weight that it doesn't make, make much of a difference. And then the really small deer are worthless because they're not getting enough meat off them. Huh. So... The price crashed from £2.50 a kilo to 80 pence a kilo just before coronavirus shut down the borders. And then, then obviously, they're not buying anymore. So the deer are going to have a really easy time of it for a few weeks. Uh, yeah. So now, can you hunt year-round there, or is there a season on deer? So we have, like I said, six species. Males and females in each all have separate seasons sawfold at least so we got muntjac which are a tiny little invasive species about the size of a cocker spaniel and they have a season you can shoot them all year round regardless of whether it's male or female because they're such an invasive species hmm. um row the males you can hunt all summer so all summer summer is for robux and for muntjac and then over the winter everything else has its season which are all slightly different but yeah we can hunt year round pretty much uh, yeah, we can't hunt you around here. We're Coyotes, that's Very about blessed, it. Actually. Yeah, I, I mean, we've got a lot of restrictions, but we are very, very blessed in the fact that we can shoot deer year-round. Our pheasant season, our game bird season is, what, six months long? About five months long. And we can shoot vermin... 365 days of the year. It's pretty good. Uh, so, so we're better than Europe for most of the European species that versus their countries. And, you know, by comparison to some states in America, where you've, you've got like a week season, a week-long season or something for some things. Yeah, we're very blessed in ability to go out and kill deer. Right. So so this is, I guess I'm curious, are you, how are your deer numbers then? Or is there a concern at all that you're going to run out of deer? Do you have... I mean, what's the concern? You don't have any concerns at all running out of deer? No, our, our numbers have been going up steadily year on year for about 30 years. Huh. Uh, down south, anyway. So Scotland, 
uh, is very different. They've had a relationship with their big game for a lot longer than we have. Obviously, you go hard and stalking for Reds. They will manage their herds a lot, not better, but very differently. They have the ability to manage their herds differently because there's a lot less people and because the estates are so much bigger. So, for example, down south, we have something called a fallow deer, and they run around in these big herds. And where the estates down here aren't that big, They'll go to one, one estate, they'll get hammered, then they'll move on to another estate, get hammered, move on to another estate, get hammered. So it's very hard to get a proper management style in place for something like that. But regardless of that, there's so much land that isn't hunted, whether that be public land or, and it sounds funny, but when you're saying most of your neighbours will want to hunt, around here, that's not necessarily the case. So there's so many small plots of land and farms around here that are being bought by rich city guys or, or city women or city folk um, as they're either summer houses or retirement houses out of London who will have 20 or 30 acres that the deer will burn very soon as a sanctuary. And it's not uncommon for us to go out, shoot a deer, and have somebody then walk up to the fence and start shouting at you for shooting deer legally on land you have permission on because they are ardently against it. And that is extremely common. Extremely common. Uh. But no, no, we have no problem with deer. In fact, the problem we have with it is we have too many. Too many. Huh, interesting. Many. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool gig, man. It's pretty cool gig. Right. So when you but when are you going to give me the invite? Mate, you get the flight when coronavirus is over. I'll take you out. <laughs> you can't use a bow. You'll have to use a, a, a real gun with bullets and such. But you're well, how are we going to change that? Around. We've got to change those laws over there so I can come with a bow. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if people are, are like sounds strange, but I think the biggest um the, the biggest anti brigade to that would be hunters themselves because they wouldn't want a spotlight on them. Hunting over here isn't like hunting over there in that everybody pretty much hates us. You know, we don't we have a, such a small fraction of hunters by comparison to a population right. like you guys. But Trying to change anything is more than likely going to garner negatives overall rather than any positives. So trying to open up something like bow hunting would more than likely bring extra restrictions. They're never going to give something without taking a huge chunk away. And I think that's what most people's qualms are with even lobbying for change. Huh. It sucks. Huh. Yeah, that's, yeah, that does suck. I couldn't, but, I couldn't live over there. Yeah, I mean... France is only like an hour flight, and you can bow hunt there. So that's that's something if you want to do bow hunting. Or America is again not that far in a world where you're actually allowed to travel. So there are options, and there's actually quite a few bow hunters in the UK. I know two or three guys who travel abroad, not every year, but every other year to go bow hunt because you can't here, but you can practice a lot. I think it's that ability to practice, whereas here you really. Trying to practice with a rifle is very hard. So, like I said, parcels of land are small. We don't have very many public ranges at all. And most local ranges are here that are club ranges are maximum 50 meters long. So it's not practicing long range shooting right. or even medium shooting or even, I mean, 50 meters is a realistic distance to shoot a deer around here because of the size of the land and the forestry styles and this kind of thing. But you could practice the bow in your garden quite happily even though it may not be sensible in many cases, you can at least practice your, with your trigger and you, there's things you can practice at home where the rifle you can do is dry fire. 
and then go out and shoot deer when the opportunity arises. Mm. So do, I guess, so do you guys, um, all you, I guess the rifle hunters, of course, hunters, I don't know. Do the hunters pretty much hate us over here then that, that bow hunt, us bow hunters? Like, are you against what we uh, do over here? See, I didn't think so in, like, a lot until we did that video. And I learned that everybody thinks it's really inhumane. And we had a guy put a comment on there saying, I came to, I've come to two or three trade shows in the UK and every single one, somebody has been nasty to me because I'm a bow hunter. And I'm like, I just don't get that. We're all hunters. And I understand that there's a lot of people out there who may think it's inhumane. Because I think maybe 40 or 50 years ago, or even 20 or 30 years ago, the technology was nowhere near what it is now. Right. As well as the education and the knowledge. Because we can all be professionals now in anything because we just learn it off YouTube. Very much. No, I don't think people hate you, but I think there's a lot of ignorance, perhaps, that goes with it. And as well right. as, well, rifle is just superior. We invented it to be better, which, to be fair, it is a better killing machine. I have no oh, doubt right. about that whatsoever. Well, and, and a bomb is more superior than a rifle, so let's just drop bombs on it. Well, I would say the best killing machine for deer is a captive bolt gun, and you, you walk them into a slaughterhouse, and you just knock them on the head with a captive bolt gun, Right, and that's the thing that kills most animals for meat in the world. Right. That and a thirty-eight special single-shot pistol that we use for human dispatch here yep. as well. Yep. And a four ten. Right. But yeah. No, I don't think people hate hate both hunters over here, but I think that there is. I don't know. I just don't think it will be accepted easily. Strangely, even though. I think that's more of a self-defense mechanism than it would be a hatred of bow hunter mechanism. Even though deer, and it is lucky. I mean, we face a lot of um, prejudice over here, mostly aimed on the game bird side of things because um, because of the intensivity that we do it with. Because well, we like to shoot larger numbers than most other countries <laughs> in a very different style, right? But I don't think there's ever going to be any pressure on the deer side because. Even like the the big sort of they probably would be if they understood it.
shouldn't be driving cars that are driving cars. You've got people that are shooting rifles that shouldn't be shooting rifles. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, my first gut feeling is no, I, I personally, I'm not a fan of legislation and maybe that's the American in me. Um, you're American. Right? Yeah, I'm an American <laughs> freedom. Right. Um, you know, I just, I see government screw most of the things up. Um, It's out there.
Yeah, see, and that's I don't you know I, that's where you have to have legislation, and that's where I wouldn't want to. You do have to have some legislation because um, that's I hate. and respecting other people's property and whatever. Um, yeah, we do have poachers here. Mass anyway, because they have no value.
only difference is is did is and let's just get better and let's all grow from it and let's search sure as And thanks for clearing that one up, mate. And if you ever, if we ever get out of the corona and you're allowed back on play, About 50 yards, a bow really would be the ideal tool for the job. Rifle, if you like. Sounds good. Well, I'll be, I'll be. You put a rifle in my hands, I'll be that guy that winds up shooting 400 because it'll be like, this is easy. I'll just start picking them off. I'll be like a sniper from, out there. From the hip, mate. From the hip. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the mirror, like Andy Oakley. Right there, mate, you go. Take care. All right, have a good one, man. I'll see you in a bit.